You're listening to a DM podcast. G'day guys, welcome to episode 209 of Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. On the show today, we've got a great guest in Anthony Seabold. So Seabold has seen the ups and downs of rugby league in terms of both player and coach. He was a journeyman in his playing career, but he learnt heaps. Had one of the best apprenticeships that we've ever seen, and he achieved plenty of success in his first year at the Rabbitohs, and also at the Broncos' first year before a lot of adversity hit last year. So he's got a great story to tell, and there's much to learn from Seebs. Before we get Seebs on the show, I hope you've been enjoying the new season of talk, uh, Talking With TK. To start the year, we've had Owen Craigie, Ian Roberts, Tim Simona, and now Anthony Seabold. We'll take a short break, only because I need to concentrate on talking league for the next few weeks, and once that settles down, we'll get back into the long-form interviews. But I hope you haven't been also been enjoying all the interviews, both player and coach-wise, on Talking League. If you haven't out yet, just search Talking League, or you can also find it on this channel. There is a tipping comp and fantasy league comp for both listeners of the show, and also invite your family and friends. It is free to enter, so get in there now. It's $500 cash prize for first place. You'll find all the details at talkingwithtk.com, or just have a look at your episode notes on your podcast player. It is all on there. Thank you for everyone that's leaving Apple Podcast reviews. Really, really appreciate that. And definitely do connect with me on social media. Facebook, Talking With TK. Tristan, Tristan Nell on Instagram. Tristan underscore Nell on Twitter. Or send me an old school email. Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. During the year, there will be two weekly Tuesday and Thursday Talking League shows. So all about NRL. Plenty of player interviews and some great recurring guests as well. So get involved with that. All right, guys, excited for today's episode, and I introduce Anthony Seabold. All right, guys, my special guest today is Anthony Seabold. Anthony is a former professional rugby league player, having played at the Brisbane Broncos, Canberra Raiders, London Broncos, and Hulk KR. His extensive coaching resume has seen him coach since 2006. His impressive resume includes assistance roles at Melbourne Storm, Manly, and the Queensland Rugby League, while he's also been the head coach at the South Sydney Rabbitohs and Brisbane Broncos. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony Seawold. Anthony, Great. welcome, mate. Great, Tristan. Thanks for having us, mate. Pleasure, mate. Always wanted to have you on, but... First things first, like I did mention when you kind of walked in, you're looking great, mate. Stress is down by the looks of it. I know that you're working with Adam up in Newcastle, but just tell everyone how's it been just for the first few months to step away from head coaching and to try something else. Yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting period. Um, you know, I suppose my first um, resign at the Bronx, I think it was um, you know, late August. Hmm. Um, so pretty much what I did straight away afterwards, probably um, I needed to. You know, I just I went out to a mate's farm in the middle of central Queensland, um, sort of four hours past the Adani mining site. Yeah, nice. Um, we did some mustering for four or five days. So um, it, was, it was really good to clear the head. There was no sort of mobile phone service or anything like that. And just to get away from footy was great. I, um, a really good friend of mine, Bruce Cook and Matt Shaw, who yep. are um, great friends of mine from boarding school up that way, they, um, you know, they're, they're sort of – farm boys and uh, they looked after us for a few days so that was really good and then since then we've moved back to Sydney and yep. living um, over on, on the beaches and um, yeah enjoying life um, you know plenty of diversity in, in what I'm doing professionally but it's good to fa- spend some time with the family as well and, and probably look after myself a bit better as well you know yeah. so I'm uh, feeling a lot better. Nice now let's talk a little bit about family so you're a rocky boy and you've got a bit of a German background in you mate yeah. tell me a little bit about your family. Yeah, no, I'm uh, born and bred in Rockhampton, which yeah. is um, the beef capital of Australia. So, um, <laughs> Mate, some good coaches from that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Anthony Griffin uh, grew up uh, around the corner from me in Park Avenue. He's a lot older than me. Okay. But, did you um, know each other back Yeah, then? no, I did, mate. Yeah, no, he was from the same junior club, albeit um, he yep. was uh, eight or nine years older. Um, is that brothers? Yeah, Rocky Brothers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I didn't play any senior footy at Brothers. I played some juniors there, and then I went away to boarding school when I was 15, so okay. that was my sort of end of my involvement with Brothers, and... Um, but yeah, I, I, as I said, grew up there. Mum and dad are still up that way. Yep. Um, and yeah, I went to a boarding school called St. Brennan's, which is at Yapoon, which is about 35, 40 minutes from Rocky. And, um, I heard yeah, the great Julian O'Neill went to school with Jules you, was, Jules was <laughs> right above. He was a couple of years older, but, um, he, he was 18 in grade 12. So, mate, um, 
yeah, well, I played in the first 13 there with Jules, and I was only 15 um, when I was playing with him. And, um, and he was a freakish player at school. So, um, yep. yeah, we had plenty of good players um, come through St. Brennan's. But, yeah, um, you know, love going going back there. Don't get back there too often. But, um, yeah, Rocky boy. And, and as you said, Seabold's a German heritage name. Yep. My granddad came over on um, on a boat okay. um, in the early 1950s, and yep. he came over here. He was um, only in his early 20s, and he was a, a skilled worker, um, which Australia was looking for at the time to work on the snowy um, um, snowy river mountains. Okay. Nice. So he came across and, and worked on that. When that was finished, he went to Melbourne and um, yeah, met my nan, who was down there at the time as a nurse. And So that's that side of the family. And the other side of the family, we've got plenty of um, Irish um, heritage. Yep. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's an um, interesting mix, you know, particularly um, having a German name back in the 80s and Rocky was pretty unusual. But, oh, what do I? Um, yeah, no, my granddad's still alive. He's, he's um, nice. Yeah, he's, um, you know, in an in a, um, elderly people's home at the moment up mm. in Rocky still. But, yeah, that's uh, where the family sort of name comes from. Beautiful. Did you have a passport? Because I know that you played quite a bit <clears throat> in England, but... Did that help? Um, no, initially I didn't. Initially I went over to England on a professional sportsman's visa. Okay. Um, I played the required number of games of the Raiders and then um, signed at London Broncos. But when I went back the second time to play for whole KR, by then um, it was suggested to me uh, by Tony Ray, who was the yeah. CEO of the London uh, Broncos, he said, look, um, if you get your – because I did my ACL, so long story short, I missed a season of footy. And yeah, yeah. He said, look, why don't you um, apply for your – passport because my qualification for the sports visa would have passed and it took two years actually to get the passport so it didn't help me okay. with London Broncos but it helped me to go back and play for whole KR so I was over there because you would just um, be you wouldn't be a foreigner yeah yeah you're classed as you know you're a European Union um, you know, person at yeah. the time so I wasn't an import uh, um, whole KR at the time and um Yes, I've still got dual passports, but obviously I'm very much Australian. I've, I've been to Germany a couple of times yeah. to visit family and Beautiful to go place. to the Munich yeah, Beer yeah. Fest. <laughs> Have you been? Yeah, I've been, yeah, so it was just cool. Yeah, I missed it by a week, but uh, it's definitely on the bucket yeah, list Yeah, mate, for it's sure, worth though. doing, that's for sure. Mate, you played front row. Now, what I loved about kind of the 80s and 90s is kind of more undersized guys that really had a dig. Is that kind of the style that you brought to footy? Yeah, I mean, um, as a kid, you know, I was really fortunate. I played in um, a lot of rep sides, and it was mainly in the back row. You know, I played mm. in all the Queensland under-age sides, but it was as a back row, and uh, I went to Broncos in the lower grades there as a back row. Um, I played reserve grade there when I was still only 17 and uh, played back row probably for a couple of years. And probably my last year, um, 95, I remember um, the coaching staff sort of talking to me about trying to put some size on okay. and pushing up to front row. A few of the, the front rowers there – they're all playing, you know. They're all playing rep football at the time, so it was more. I was twenty at the time. They said, "Look, there's an opportunity around Origin time. Yeah, yeah. Put some size on. We'll move you up to the front row." And that's sort of where I sort of um, played. And I was fortunate to play first grade at the Raiders um, in '98 as a front row, and then obviously up yep. in the Super League. And um, yeah, no, I was undersized front row, so I was, yeah, I suppose the thing I brought was you know good work rate, and um, yeah, I was pretty fit and reason, you know reasonably strong. So You're just before your time seeds, like right <laughs> yeah. now with the new rules, you well, would have fitted in perfect. Maybe, yeah, maybe, but uh, no, I enjoyed my time. I was pretty much, you know, I was very much a journeyman. I, but I, I, the thing I do reflect on really positively is that mm. I was at the two. Well, I felt as though I was at the two strongest clubs. Um, you know, maybe Manly might have been a third one, but I was at oh, the, the two 90s, strongest yeah. clubs of the nineties. You know, having um, you know four years in the lower grades of Broncos was a, was a, a great apprenticeship as a young player. I was yeah. there from seventeen to twenty one, and then I went to the Bron- um, the Raiders and um, for ninety seven and ninety eight, and um, you know they still had fantastic Ross. You know, Ricky Stewart, Brad Clyde, Fern. Um, yeah. You know, Croker, Mullins, you know, the, <laughs> the Wiki, list goes on, mate. Magus, yeah. you know, the list went on. So it was great. Um, and learned a lot from a lot of different people. And um, yeah, just even how, you know, people train and carry themselves. And it probably worked my appetite in a lot of ways for yeah. teaching and coaching. Mate, I remember like the Super League year because in that year, Foxtel came out for the first time. So I've convinced Dad that we yeah. need Foxtel. But the kind of rule was I have to watch every single game. So, like, even though you only played a handful of games, I reckon I watched every single one of your games and I knew exactly who you were. But that was an amazing time. Did you have a Super League story? Like, how did you sign over there? Um, no, well, man, I'm probably one of the unlucky ones from Super League because I was at the Broncos at the time and yeah. when Super League actually first sort of came mm. about in 95 and I was playing reserve grade at the time and um, we had pretty young reserve grade side. and yep. Because Broncos with John Rebo and Porky Morgan, they, they were obviously were, were big 
um, movers and shakers in in you know Super League um, coming to fruition. Yep. Um, once they signed the top twenty players of the Broncos, they didn't have to sign the rest because they had the club. You know, yeah, so the course. top twenty players yeah, yeah. were were signed to Super League. Um, I had some interest from the ARL at the time, but I just thought, you know, I'm a Bronco yeah. kid and that's where I play. Now, what happened at other clubs at the same time, t- teams, were, you know, all their reserve grade players were getting signed as well for yeah. enormous well, money. I remember, players, right? I remember guys yeah. like Jamie Matthew and Justin Lumens yeah. at, at Cowboys telling me and Jason Burnham at um, the Canberra Raiders, those guys were playing reserve grade at the time, but they signed, um, you know, six-figure nice six, yeah. contracts yeah. as reserve grade players. Because they needed their clubs, you know, um, to, to come into um, the Super League. And the way to do it was actually to sign all the players from the clubs. So, yeah, um, yeah so unfortunately I didn't get any uh, financial <laughs> incentive. But um, after my time at Broncos, I actually went and spent five months in France as a young guy. Just I thought it would be not so much for the footy, but just I'd been um, – yeah, I'd, I'd never really been out of the country too much other than to New Zealand, Papua New Guinea mm. for footy. And I just thought it'd be great five months. I went and spent five months there. And on my return, I signed for the Raiders. So financially, I wasn't on a lot of money. But yeah. I just thought, you know, too good of an opportunity to not go down. And, you know, Mel Meninga was the coach, trained full time there with, you know, the list of players who mm. had so much success at rep footy level and, and yeah. club footy level. So, yeah, I thought it'd be just great to go down and, um, you know, played. Um, reserve grade initially, but um, you know, had a really good year um, in '98 when the competition got back together. And mm. um, other than breaking my sternum, I think trying to tackle Paul Searin, it was um, <laughs> where I missed about four or five weeks. I, I pretty much played first grade most of that year, which was which was great. You know, I loved it. And That's really a highlight to get taken out by Searin. <laughs> no, it was probably was. It was a Friday night game actually, <laughs> and I only lasted about two or three minutes. And um, my wife was, was my girlfriend. Um, at the time, it was her first game to come and watch me play, and um, <laughs> and so I lasted all the two minutes. So it wasn't great. Yeah, it wasn't oh great, um, god! It wasn't great experience for her to come and watch, but yeah, no, it was it was good times, and I learned a lot, you know. Yeah, yeah. mate, the great Cyril Connell's the one that yeah. that's probably the Broncos originally, and just knowing a few of the stories through Fab's podcast, yeah, I know that they wanted you guys to have something on the side. Yeah, you decided to study. Was it always going to be the plan to have something behind you, like education wise? Yeah, definitely. I think Broncos were ahead of their time. Um, when you reflect back on it, obviously rugby league was was part time still then, you know, and, yeah. and some of the players, you know, like even like the Alfie Langers in the day, um, you know, they were working for you know for, for sponsors, for instance, you know, might have been Powers Brewing at the time, and they were yeah. sales reps or whatever else. But everyone pretty much had a job or a business or an apprenticeship or or whatever or a trade or whatever it was, and. Um, one thing the Broncos did exceptionally well was their younger players. Yep. They spent more time educating them, looking after what they did away from football. Um, so I remember, like, we, it used to be like Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights after training. And at the time, we think, oh, it's pain in the backside having to spend another hour and a half. But Cyril ran this program yep. and had, you know, guest speakers come in, whether it was media people, whether it was nutrition nutritionists, whether it was to do with further education or apprenticeships or whatever. But it's actually a, a formal um program that they nice. ran back yeah, in the yeah. early 90s and it was, except, it was exceptional way ahead of its time and I'm not sure whether you know it was Wayne Bennett or Cyril Connell who actually came up with the idea but it was, it was fantastic and as a young guy Cyril had been a um, he was a, an ex kangaroo and he'd been um, a teacher himself and yep. he was second in charge of the state education up there okay. uh, before he went and worked for the Broncos and I had pretty good marks at school and um, you know he encouraged me to go down the education he, yeah. he said look you know be, it's a really sort of safe degree and you know you can work in multiple places with it and um, it'll tie in good with your footy if that's where you want to go down. So he encouraged me to do it, and and I yeah did a bachelor of teaching, and I was actually teaching year six by the time I was twenty one, which um, probably yeah. was a little bit too young. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, he was very, he was very encouraging to meet Cyril away from footy. Just I uh, learned a lot, um, and a lot of, made a lot of mistakes at the Broncos as a young guy too. You know because yeah. you, you get a bit carried away with the university life at different times, but. Um, he was, yeah, fantastic to me. Yeah. Wayne Bennett back in the day, especially in the early 90s, they're building this club that you just kind of spoke about. What was kind of he like back in those early days? Um, yeah, obviously, um, yeah, they had a fantastic group of players. You know, mm. my first season there playing under 21s was 1992. And I flipped between, because I was only 17, I wasn't 18 until October, which was after the year. So I flipped between... Um, reserve grade under 21s yeah. and back playing for Brothers, Brisbane Brothers that year. So I played for three different teams throughout that year. <laughs> and even back at Brothers, sometimes I was playing A grade in the 
well, it wasn't Q Cup then, it was Brisbane football. Yeah. But it was what they call Q Cup now, and, and also Carl. So I actually played in four different teams that year. So it was a pretty funny old year for me, but it was a great experience because I'd be playing. I remember making a um, reserve grade debut, and Newcastle were the team we played against, like Butterfield and Sam yeah. Stewart and those. I'm, I'm a 17 year old kid, I'm thinking, bloody hell, you know, it's tough going here. But then I go back to the, the local footy, Brisbane Brothers, and play A grade there against some, some really some tough, tough guys, tough too, guys yeah. at other clubs. As far as Wayne was concerned, you know, he was always the, the, the A-grade coach, the Winfield mm. Cup coach at the time. Um, he had bits and pieces to do with us young guys. Yep. Um, he was always, you know, really encouraging. But for a lot of us, he's probably a little bit like, um, you know, we, he was a principal, so sometimes yeah, we talked to him. It was, it was um, yeah, not, not necessarily about, um, you know, your footy. Was, you know, it was a lot of off-field stuff and, and yeah, so on. Okay. But yep. no, it, was, it was a great experience. They had great coaching staff, um, you know, back then. Billy Gardner was... A very very good coach under twenty ones and reserve great coach there. Um, you know, Steve Calder was there. Um, yep. Bruno Cullen, Glenn Bailey. They had some really good guys coaching the lower grade teams, mm. and um, yeah, they had a really good staff. And Kelvin Giles, Steve Nance. Yep. They're internationally renowned as strength conditioning coaches. Yeah, yeah. So it was a really yeah. As I said, you couldn't help not learn. And sometimes it was making mistakes and learning from your mistakes, but. Mm. You had some really good staff there to point you in the right direction. And although I didn't play first grade of the Bronx, I thought, you know, it's like doing my apprenticeship, you know. Yeah, for sure. 21 when I finished, so I had done a degree. I played a fair bit of reserve grade. I was teaching year six, so I probably was, you know, growing up as a, as a young adult. Is that something you kind of always – because with your coaching career, like your, your apprenticeship in terms of your assistant coaching – that went for a long time, but it was a very impressive time in terms of like the different organisation you spent. You know, you just said about apprenticeships. Is that something you've always kind of believed in? Some like kind of maybe doing more than you kind of have to. Yeah, I think I think you, you you've got to do an apprenticeship. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to coach some really good players along the way in whatever capacity, yeah. whether it's been as an assistant coach, under twenties coach, Q Cup coach, NRL coach, whatever. You come across some very talented players, and a lot of you know some of them. Um, we'll sort of say, you know, I'd love to get in the coach when I finish. And my only sort of advice is like um, a couple of things. Do, do your time, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I think if you look back historically, you know, a lot of the very, very elite players, like, you know, Wally Lewis is the best player in the world, you know, the best player in the world. And I remember talking to Wally about it up in Brisbane one time and he just said, look, he went straight from playing to coach in first grade. And, and because you're a good player doesn't necessarily make – sorry, elite player doesn't necessarily yeah. make – you're going to be a good coach and an elite coach. And I remember mm. him talking about it. Michael Voss, who is an ex-AFL yeah, uh, Premiership winning yeah. um, player, great person. And um, I've had a lot to do with him. He's at Port Adelaide now as a okay. senior assistant. And we've, we've done a lot of professional development together for probably the last five or six years. And um, he did the same at Brisbane Lions. Okay. He jumped straight from being the captain, leader, so the coach. To coach. And yeah, he yeah. said, you know, I just was nowhere near ready because – the coaching's a craft, you know, like there's a craft to it. It's not just about knowing the X's and the O's or, mm. you know, knowing your footy. So, yeah, I always encourage people to do an apprenticeship, you know, do your time, you know. If it means you've got to go back and coach, you know, Queensland Cup or under-20s or under-18s yeah. or whatever team it is, I don't think um, I don't think you're above that. And, and Newcastle Knights, where I'm doing some work with the, with – with the, the group there, um, yeah. they've got some ex-elite players in Marco Mealy, Andrew mm. Ryan, him coaching their lower grades, but it's a good experience for them. They're coaching under-17s and New South Wales Cup, respectively. And they've done it all in the game, um, too, They've done right? it all in the game, but yeah. that's the right way to do yeah. it, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, as I said, that's that's the one bit of advice. You know, don't take your time. Don't be in a rush. Because, you know, you learn a lot from those experiences, coaching the, the different teams and different levels along the way. Yeah, definitely. Now, Sebs, you did, obviously, your teaching degree. You were, co- you, were, you were teaching at year six level. Did you ever get an inkling that, your future would be in coaching? Um, not early. Not, certainly not when I was 21. I yeah. mean, I was, I was flat out looking after myself, let alone... Was your dad a coach or anything kids. like that? No, uh, well, dad coached me as a kid. Okay. Um, but, but I was heavily influenced by coaches I had at school. Yep. Um, like St. Brennan's College was a boarding school and... I went there when I was 15, and we had some people like Paul Barn and Cole Hennessy. Paul works for the Storm now, and Cole um, lives in, on the um, northern New South Wales coast. But they were my first 13 coaches there for a couple of years, and they mm. were great people, good good teachers. Um, I had a guy called Kerrod Bendel who coached me a lot. Um, he was a primary school teacher up yeah, Rocky, yeah. you know. But I still remember those guys because they had big impacts on me, you know, yep. in, in a really positive way. And was I that thought, like on a personal sense? Yeah, or? but both, yeah, yeah. You know? But just uh, I just remember them helping me get better as a, as a kid, yeah. away from footy, but also with footy. So they stand out to me. And um, so I think initially, no. But when I finished playing, I, I came back 
from the UK and I taught um, when I hurt my knee. Yeah. And I started coaching um, sort of, you know, first 13 teams and, mm -hmm. and junior rep sides for a couple of years when I was teaching um, back and forth from the UK there a little bit and um, that sort of whet my appetite. And then okay. I got an opportunity to go full-time in uh, the end of 2005 into 2006 back in, in the UK. But I taught oh, – sorry, I had um, taught for a couple of years and coached for a few years at junior level. So, it, yeah, I got the sort of bug, you know, um, sort of, you know, when I was sort of in my early 30s. Okay. Seems I've got to ask, were you a strict teacher, mate? Um, no, I don't think so initially. <laughs> I don't think so initially. No detention for people? Um, no, look, you know what? Um, this is this is one thing I, I learned at university. Um, yeah. Going really hard early, if that makes sense, you know, because it's – it's much easier to be very, very strict early, you know, like the first couple of weeks of school. You okay, know, so yeah, I yeah. always made sure that I, I went in hard, and then <laughs> you can start to loosen the, um, you know, loosen things up a little bit. If you go in the other way, as a as a teacher in a classroom, then um, you know, then it's then it's hard work. But no, I, you know, I, look, I ended up teaching for I think it was four and a half years, and then yeah. I did another um, sixteen or seventeen months um, at university level as a, as a lecturer. So it was about five or six years all up. I taught for. And it's a wonderful vocation, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there because you know you're there to serve others. You know, you're there to help yeah. kids and people get better, whether it's university level or high school level, primary school level. So I really enjoyed that. Mm. You know, I think people forget how much of coaching sometimes is teaching as well, and that crossover. What do you think the biggest for yourself? What's the biggest trait that you took from teaching, and kind of still apply now as a coach? Yeah, there's a few things, and for me, you know, there's no difference. Teaching is coaching, coaching, teaching. I, I would yeah. really encourage anybody, um, you know, not necessarily to do a teaching degree, but do some sort of, of formal, um, mm. you know, um, learning program. There's where, so much now we yeah, can do, where, right? Where, yeah, like even where, just where, a seminar. Like. Yeah, that's right. Look, because because you know, how do you know if players are retaining the information? How do you yep. know if if other staff understand, you know, the message delivering and so on? And um, but yeah, like. You know, teaching is is um, is coaching, and, and the things I learnt were you know, things about you know attention to detail, so being really well planned, mm. you know, communication, you know, being able to present in front of the group, and and that's a strategy because you know you need to ask questions to see if, if the players or the kids in the classroom are understanding, um, you know, what you're trying to uh, you know the message you're trying to deliver, and you know one of the things I'm doing at the nights at the moment is a lot of work on on that sort of thing okay. for them, um, you know, help them with their presenting and, and their delivery of of the different. Drills and it was the same in the classroom. So, you know that that um, you know was certainly transferable. You know, I think um, you know looking, um, you know, giving people feedback. You know, obviously you have report cards in the classroom. Mm -hmm. and you've got to parent-teacher interviews, and um, you, you've got to you know you've got to um, give feedback to you know students and parents, and and then at university level, you know, you've got to give feedback to to those um, you know those students at that level as well. And you've got to as a, as a coach with a player and. But the big thing is about, you know, forming relationships and yeah. oh, I've done that well at, at times and not so well at different times, but, you know, relationships is key, whether you're a teacher or, mm. or a coach, that's the big one. But um, there's certainly so many uh, transferable skills and traits that, you know, marry up to both um, classroom yeah. teacher and, and, and coach. Yeah, so, you know, you just mentioned a great word, feedback then. And for me, coming from the corporate world, like I work in stockbroking, that's what I've done. But the biggest thing is that because I played sports as well, I used to love my coaches telling me, week-to-week -week basis, you know, you're not doing this right, you are doing this great, can yeah. we sit down and have a chat like that way? Now that you're kind of doing stuff with the corporate world, in terms of kind of like trying to help them, because feedback's huge. I get feedback once a year, mate. Yeah. Like, yeah. and you're used to kind of sometimes doing it on a daily basis yeah, within yeah, your definitely. team. Yeah. Like, sometimes I love feedback. What, what advice kind of in the business to kind of, if you wanted to start doing that more, What's the kind of first stage for a business owner or a CEO? How do they kind of introduce it? Yeah, it's interesting. I've actually been talking about this a little bit with, with some people, um, you know, at high level um, roles, you know, GMs and, and CEOs. And yeah. I think um, it needs to be done more regularly than once a year, mm. you know, because essentially for me a lot of ways that's, you know, ticking a box. You know what I mean? Like you don't see the person for – Things change for, so for much in 12 months, months mate. Things change, like and, you know – Things change weekly, you know, fortnightly, monthly, yeah. whatever it is. And um, in the sports world, we are used to giving feedback, and and sometimes feedback is is a tough conversation. Sometimes it's mm. it's feedback that you need to get better to be able to grow as a player or as a person. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes people yeah. don't like hearing the feedback, but mm. it comes from a good place. Um, but yeah, I, I just think doing feedback more regularly is really important um, in the business world as well. I think also having a, a, a structure to your feedback, you know, mm. like, and really, you know, simple structure like, you know, what are you doing well? 
you know, what are you doing well? What's the two or three things you're doing really well in and around? You know, Do you always around? start with a positive? It just depends. Yeah. It just depends. Because um, I read this book. I'm, not sure, I'm sure you probably read it. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's yeah. kind of that's the first approach they take, yeah. a positive trait first yeah. and then get into well, the – Well, some, sometimes, you know, if you start with a negative, people just will dwell on that. And when you actually give them mm. the, the positive part of your feedback, they're still dwelling on – you know, the shit feedback yeah, you just yeah. give them, you know what Absolutely, I mean, or, or yeah, yeah. what they think is, is, is tough feedback. But, um, you know, everyone's got different ways of doing it. But, you know, I think, you know, essentially they want to walk away from the conversation, what they're doing well, yep. which one they keep doing, the areas that they can grow in, and then what's really important now in, the, in that next sort of period of time. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's a really uh, simple but effective, you know, feedback strategy. Other people use, you know, keep doing this, I need you to start doing this, I want you to stop doing that. Everyone's mm. got different ways of delivering the same message. But essentially if they walk away knowing one or two things that, you know, they're doing pretty good, yep. one or two things that, you know what, we can improve and then let's really narrow the focus to what's important now and that might be a time frame of a week or two weeks, a month, or it might be the day or that week or whatever it is. But I think that's pretty simple but effective feedback. But I think that, you know, they need to do it more in the Just more space. often. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've heard a little bit you talking about kind of how you structure kind of your day. And I'm very similar. I like to start with a workout in the morning. But then same thing, I like to be the first one through the door as well. Kind of where did you learn that from? Oh, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I've always had a workout. You know, I'm a blue-collar guy from Rocky, you know, mum and dad. Um Mum and dad had me when they were 18 and 17, respectively. Wow, so your parents um, are very young. Yeah, very, very young. And yeah. They're still together now. And, um, and you know, so you can imagine, you know, they had nothing when they were that age, you know. So they've had yep. to work really hard for, for you know, their way through life. And um, so, you know, certainly got a work ethic from, from a parent. So they've, mm. they've um, you know, certainly showed the way there. But I think in a footy context, just having those few years with Craig Bellamy, I just saw um, some traits that I really admired in him and they're really simple ones but effective ones, you know, work ethic and attention to detail. Like, um, you know, Belayaki is first, you know, one of the first through the door. He's, yep. He trains hard himself. He works hard for the team and, um, you know, he's very thorough with yeah. what he does. And How did you guys first meet? Well, I mean, actually met Belayaki in 97 when I first went to to Raiders. Oh, okay. He was an assistant coach yeah, yeah, yeah. that first year before we went to the Broncos. And, and then, you know, a few t- we've had some mutual friends, actually. Okay. Um, Gary McDonald, who's great friends with Ricky Stewart and, and, um, and Belly Oak, become a really good friend of, of me and, and real sort of mentor. And, you know, he, he, he was Mr. Canberra in some ways. You know, so he sort of showed me the ropes around, around Canberra. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, sort of saw Belly, you know, every now and then over the years. But I hadn't seen him for a long time when I first got off of the role there. Frank Panisi was probably a driver of, of, of me going to the storm. Okay. And then um, after he sort of did that, he brought me down and, you know, I caught up with Belly Ake, um, you know, the, sort of the year before I was starting there. And yep. Spent a little bit more time just trying to learn and observe. But, um, yeah, he he – showed the way um and i i think back to when i've done a really good job in mm. my roles it's when i keep a really good routine okay um i think back to um you know last year for instance yeah. um and even you know probably some periods during my first year at bronx um you know just being in- inconsistent with with some things that um, I know helped me yeah. be the best version of myself. So, yeah. you know, whether it's what you eat or, or, you know, I was still getting up early and being first through the door, um, but I stopped training myself, you know, last year. And, yeah. and I know that training for me to start the day puts me in a really good headspace. It does, yeah. So when I, I was thinking, shit, I'm going to outwork everyone. I'm going to... You know, I'm going to outwork everyone, and that's the way is, that Is that what happens when you're kind of well, it's when you, on the so, roller coaster so, on the way sometimes, down. Yeah. sometimes when you're, yeah, I call it the washing machine. You know, sometimes you're in the washing machine, you just think, shit, I'm going to outwork everyone here. And, hmm. um, but, yeah, as I said, when, I, when I'm at my very best as, as, a, you know, as a dad, as a, as a coach, as a teacher, whatever it's been, it's when I've got some really good routines in place. And I'm very routine-driven, so when I when – I, go outside that, it does yeah. have an impact. You know, like even this morning, you're like, um, you said, oh, you, know, you, you come in here, you're looking fresh. But I feel good because I was up early, you know, went, went and trained, went and had a swim yeah. in the ocean. 
um, you know, saw the kids and, you know, eating well this morning and then you feel good about your day. So, yeah, um, yeah very much routine. But I, I saw a lot of fantastic traits and people like Craig Bellamy and, and also Adam O'Brien, you know, at the Storm and, and even some of the players, you know. I, I learned a lot from, you know, Cameron Smith and Billy Slater and Cooper Cronk and Ryan, Hinch, uh, Ryan Hinchcliffe and yeah, yeah. Ryan Hoffman, those guys. You can see why uh, not necessarily just their talent because mm. the first three I mentioned are super talented, but the guys like Coffee and, and Hinchy and that they they worked damn hard to get to where they did in the game and win mm. premierships. So you all you know, I'm a bit I'm a big observer, so yeah, certainly learn a lot about work ethic through observing people over my time. Yeah, character traits and building team culture. When you did, or even before, when you were assistant coach, I'm sure they got your, your input as well, but how much did you guys at all the different places put an emphasis on having great people within your organisation? Yeah, and now that's, that's, that is what culture is, right, okay? So, mm-hmm. um, I guess been, how do you tell, but? Like, yeah, no, well, yeah. You, you know, the, the way I look at it, and I've been able to go and observe different environments, you know, mm-hmm. sporting or business over you know, my coaching, um, being involved in a number of different organisations as well. But I, I, I really think that um, culture is what you do around here, so it's people's actions, and you can see it. Mm. And I, I look back and think on, um, you know, some observations I've made um, in, you know, in, in environments that are really positive. You can just see it. Right? Yeah. It's, it's how people behave. It's how people act. And then a couple of environments I've been in which haven't been successful or um, – you know, have been sort of dysfunctional, mm. you see how people behave as well. And that's not just players, that's staff, that's everybody included. So, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, but, but people's behaviours, that's the culture. It's not the words that you put on the wall. That, that That's easy. You yeah. know, but like people, you know, when you go and visit other environments um, here and abroad, well, you know, that's our culture here. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're all about, you know, um, trust, respect, you know, whatever it is. And it's just words on the wall. It means means bugger all. So Mm. that's one thing I have learned. Seems coaching versus playing. Now, both very different but very similar because we all love the sport. Did you have a preference between the two of them? I I, I love my time playing. um, But as I said, you know, I was a journeyman. But I I look back and I think in a lot of ways, being a bit of a journeyman and playing at all different levels, yeah. Yeah. I I played in the NRL, played in the Super League, played in the French Championship – Played in the Queensland Cup, played in New South Wales Cup, played country footy. Yep. Um, because one year there at Canberra, um, reserve grade was shut down for four weeks when the when the main side played the English teams okay. in Super League, so we had to go back and play country footy. Yeah, yeah. I was at Widen Valley Rams. Um, I played first division in England. I played second division. I I don't know if there's a level I haven't actually played. Did you, have a, did you get a notebook, mate? Sorry. Did you have a notebook from like? Oh, I did when I was a young bloke. Yeah. Um, so I've ex- I experienced a lot as a player a- in different countries. You know, as I said, I massive advantage, but mate, because yeah, you've no, seen all great. these yeah, different it was great. environments. And I was lucky enough to play, as I said, two of the most successful clubs in the nineties. So I observed a lot of elite players, and I certainly wasn't an elite player, but I find myself, you know, really fortunate. That I played in the NRL and in Super League. You know, a lot of people. Yeah. You know, weren't able, or haven't been able to, to achieve that. Who wanted to? So, um, yeah, playing or coaching. Um, Love the journey as a player, but feel as though I've had more of an impact as a, as a coach. Yeah. You know, obviously, last year twenty twenty was was horrible for myself and mm. and for the Broncos and 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 the playing group there. You know, you wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, but um, that aside, that six months aside, I've had. 14 and a half years of, of you know, really upward tra- trajectory as far as, you know, coaching and my experiences and, and so on. Um, so I feel as though I've made more of an impact as a coach, but I love my time as a player because I yeah. experience everything as a player. Mate, you know? sounds yeah. incredible. Mate, early on in your coaching career, I've heard you speak about being over in England and one of your teams that you are coaching, assistant coach at, came last. Yeah. Kind of early on in your career, was there ever a point that you might have tried to walk away? No, because that... That was in the Super League in '09, I think it was, and that was a brand new franchise. So it was a Welsh franchise called Celtic okay. Crusaders, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the English Rugby Football League were trying to get Rugby League 
um, embedded in Wales because Wales is a hotbed for, for rugby. Like it's yeah, yeah. rugby union is the main sport, and the biggest thing about Wales is it's a really working class country. Yeah, it is. It reminds yeah. you a lot of, of Australia in a lot of ways. You know, like the, the people who play rugby union there mm. are like the people who play rugby league here. You know, very working class. Yeah. You know, f- from the valleys. You know, from big. And there'll be a culture. Tyler. There'll be a Bricky. Yeah, yeah big yeah. mining culture. Big. You know, like. And and they they obviously saw something there. And I saw it when I, I lived there. I went there for three or four years, and mm. they had great success, or we had great success climbing through the grades. So we yeah. got promoted because you have to get promoted in the Super League. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so we got promoted from second division to first division. Then we made a grand final against Salford in first division, lost it, but still were promoted. Yeah. Um, and then the first year was '09, so it was always you know the, you know everyone predicted the club to come last. They were they had a mix of some journeyman Aussies with some. Um, local Welsh guys. Yeah, yeah. So it was always going to be tough, but it was a great learning experience. The next year, um, the club made the semi-finals. You know, so they knew they had to sort of go through some rocky periods. So it wasn't a, a shock that they were challenged to win games. Um, but it was a really good learning experience because it wasn't about the scoreboard there. It was about yeah, yeah. trying to grow some of these players. And the thing that I love about that time is guys like Ben Flower, Gil Dudson have all played in Super League Grand Finals. Mm. Um, Lloyd White, you, you probably don't know some of these guys, but... Um, you know, ben Flowers won Super League a couple of times at Wigan. Um, Gil Dudson played for Selford in last year's grand final. There you um, go. You know, they've won Challenge Cup, some of these guys. So a lot of those young Welsh boys actually went on to have 100-plus game Super League careers and, and play grand finals and, and so on. So um, the, the franchise is no longer there, but yeah. um, there was a lot of good hard work um, you know, done. So coming last that year sounds like it was a shit year, but it was actually – um, an exciting year because we were blooding so many kids, you know what I mean, so many Welsh kids. And, um, yeah, that sort of probably um, – it's a shame that they didn't continue to finance the club. Yep. Um, and the club essentially went broke and okay. uh, all sorts of issues after that. Mate, since you've started coaching, whether you win a premiership, whether you make the semis or whether you finish last, do you have, a, like, a process in terms of how you review your year and kind of where you go after that? Yeah, well, um, I, I didn't do any sort of review after I resigned at the Broncos. You know yeah. what I mean, there were seven games left, left in the season. We were sitting in fifteenth position, and you know, ultimately, um, yeah, I put my hand up and said, "Look, you know, this, there was a lot of other stuff going on. You know, I'm being pretty well documented the social media stuff mm. and so on." But I just thought, "Look, this isn't working." And although I didn't want to quit, yeah. I was man enough to sort of say, look, it's not working. It's starting to have an impact on myself. It's having an impact on my family. Yeah. And I think it was also having an impact on the group. I was trying to take some pressure off the group by stepping aside because, yeah. you know, the group was copping it. You know, there was cameras everywhere, you know, outside people's houses, you know. The, the media would be outside your house yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, I got followed in a car one day, you know. Really? Yeah, it's crazy stuff. Um, is that the worst you've seen in yeah. terms of your career? Yeah, by far. Yeah. Of course it is. But, um, yeah, essentially, I didn't do any review. I And as I said, I, I went straight to a mate's farm and mustered for four or five days. Yeah. I didn't want to think about footy um, because it, it hurt, you know what I mean? Like, I, I went to the Broncos um, – and I, you know, I knew it was going to be a challenge because, you know, as a club, they'd made the decision they wanted to go young. Mm. Um, that's why they signed me for so long. Um, and for whatever reason, um, you know, we had a dysfunctional time after the COVID break. You actually started the year really well. When our first two games had a yeah, really good first. preseason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, it was a dysfunctional environment post COVID. Now um, I've got my thoughts on that, but I didn't review it. But I've started to think more and more about it as as I've sort of, I suppose, yeah, yeah. Um, got a clear head. You know, I'm starting to feel like, um, you know, at different times I write some notes on, you know, what if, if, you know, what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? Mm. What could have some people around me done to support me? You know, because that's all learning, you know what I mean? If I'm ever in that environment again or, or yeah. if there's ever context to that again, I know that you've got to have the right people around you. You've got to have people in your playing group who, you know, are leaders and that you can trust. Yeah. Um, you, know, you, you know, so all the different things that I learned. So, but generally speaking, yeah, I've, I've always done the same review. So we had a really successful year at South Sydney, the year I coached there. Yeah. But that review was very similar to the one I did when I, you know, my first year at the Broncos. And, and we, I thought we did a pretty fair job actually to make the playoffs that year, but yeah. we got pummeled, obviously. Um, you know, by a really embarrassing score on against Para, but that mm. review was the same as what I did the year before, um, and that was a very similar review what I'd seen done at you know Melbourne Storm, and and um, you know, um, so it wasn't anything 
new or different. It's you know you you want to review what you what you did well, yeah. you know, what you got to be better with, and then what's important now. So yeah, pretty simple. Okay, now Anthony, we talked about kind of your long sort of apprenticeship into your first gig with South Sydney, but number one, what is what does it take to be a really good assistant coach? And then two, when do you know when you're ready to to be a head coach? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, to be a good assistant coach, there's a couple of things. You know, the first one is um, you, you need to be very loyal to the head coach. And the, the, the term I use is disagree and commit. Okay. Because you want assistant coaches around you that disagree with you. Because if you just have yes men around you... You're not getting right, anywhere, are you? You're growing. You're yeah, not being yeah. challenged, right? So I've always thought about as an assistant coach, you need to disagree. But whatever the head coach decides... You go and commit to it. So, res- like, respect. 100%, give him, because like, this yeah, is what yeah. happens. And I've seen this in dysfunctional environments. Okay. And I saw this happen in Brizzy. Mm. Um, players will go to an assistant coach. Well, they'll go to a staff member, whether it's assistant coach, performance staff, whatever it is. And they say, why are we doing this? And then when a staff member goes, oh, well, that's what the coach wants, that's pretty much telling the player, I'm not on board I don't disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. Instead, the language that should be used is no. Well, that's what we're doing. That's, this is what the group is agreed. This, this, yeah, yeah. this is what the group needs. This yeah. is what the group. You know, this is what we've decided to do. Not this is what the head coach wants or this is what the head of performance wants. Language is key. Language I is see. key, right? Yeah. Language is key, right? So, and players start to see that because, and I know those conversations happen because players obviously have told me those conversations happen. Mm. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, yeah. But disagree and commit is the first thing. Yep. You need an assistant coach who challenges you. You need an assistant coach who's strong with their thoughts about the game and about coaching and so on. But when you walk out of the room, you've got to commit to what the head coach has decided. Yeah. I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned as far as that's concerned. The second one is you have to have a work ethic. If you don't have a work ethic, then um, your attention to detail is going to be poor. Yep. The players will see that. The head coach will see that. You know what I mean? So you can't cut corners in the assistant coach because assistant coach-wise, you do most of the X's and the O's. Yeah. Well, you know, like you're, you're the you're, you're the grinder. It's like a 16-hour job, you're right? Grinder, and you're always on call, you're, right? You're a grinder and an assistant yeah. coach. The head coach actually does a little bit less X's and O's than what everyone probably thinks. Yeah. It's the assistant coaches who have to do all that grind. You know, the head coach gets pulled apart, you know, pulled away to go to recruitment retention meetings and board meetings and do media commitments and sponsorship commitments and deal yeah. with the leadership group. So you get dragged apart. So you've got to be really strong with your work ethic. I yep. think they're the two things. Content, content or knowledge, that's a given, mate. You know mm. what I mean? You, you can't be in that role unless you know the X's and the O's. Yeah, yeah. And the fourth one, you need to be curious. You need to have a growth mindset. You need to want to get better. So you've got to look outside your group. You've got to look to different sports, different coaches, yep. different people in the business world have been successful or, or – or you know who are creative with different ideas. So they're the four things: disagree, commit. You've got to have some sort of work ethic. You've got to have obviously content knowledge. Yeah. But then you've got to be curious about getting better as an assistant coach. And if those four things, you know, I always look to hire people with those four things. I certainly have in my two head coaching roles. I've yep. got it right a couple of times, but I've also got it wrong. Yeah. But um, it's not just your assistant coaches. I keep saying assistant coaches, but I talk. I'm talking about the broader yeah, staff. Yeah, I know. What you're saying. You know, yeah, yeah. The strength, strength and conditioning coaches. Yep. You know, the nutri- you know nutritionists, the physiotherapists, all that sort of stuff. Okay, and then to make a move from an assistant coach to yeah, is, is, do you just do you just know? Like- no, well, you know what? It, it never, it never sort of. Um, uh, I, I never really sort of thought about. Oh, you know, by the time I'm such and such an <laughs> yeah, age, yeah. I want to be a head coach. At South, the opportunity just happened, and it literally happened overnight. Okay. You know, I, I remember being in. We were doing review meetings. Um, and then we were still doing a review meeting. We were due to do a review meetings the next day. I got a phone call from from um, uh, the GM of football at South Sydney, Shane Richardson, and said, look, we've yeah. decided to part ways with Michael Maguire immediately. If any media call, um, there's no comment. Yeah. Um, we'll update you later on. That was literally the phone call I got okay. um, that day. And then the next day, um, you know, Richard asked me to meet, and, and um, he just said, look, we want to promote from within. Um, we want to try and get some continuity going. The group, um, they obviously had spoken to some yeah. some people within the group. They want some continuity within, and, and that's sort of how it happened. So it sort of almost happened, um, not by default, but you know what I mean? It sort of literally happened overnight. It was not something that I had, um, you know, thought about uh, yeah. as far as, was um, do you want the job? Do you not want the job? It was really hard. I mean, because Madge was your boss for yeah, so long, and yeah. I've known Madge since 1998. I yeah. played footy with him at Canberra, and yeah. they're, but they're, 
in me in the media world, they make I've it seen, yeah, seen yeah. rumours to say, you know, under my man, it's all bullshit. You yeah. know what I mean? Absolute fucking bullshit. Pardon my language. No, no. Um, and but it made it hard. It made it hard between me and Madge because that's, what, imagine, pe- that's yeah. what people wanted to report because that's a good story, right? And the story came out after I'd left South Sydney, right? So, you know, I understand there's agendas at play, but I, I felt really bad in that situation. I actually rang Madge, and Madge mm. can, will tell you this. I rang Madge and say, mate, I wanted to talk to you before I signed the contract, and I told South Sydney that. I said, I'm not going to sign Unless you speak, until I yeah. spoke to Madge. And I rung and left a message, and I was waiting for him to call me back, which he did do, and I said, look, mate, this is what's happened overnight um, this morning. And today, um, and he said, mate, you've worked hard for an yeah. opportunity, so obviously I'm shattered. And you feel for him because uh, Madge is a good good guy, good coach, got a great family, so you hate seeing that happen to someone. Now, I'm sure some people who are close to me hated seeing me go through what I had to go through last yeah. year, but um, you know what? You've got to, you know, you got to try and learn. You've got to try and be better, and you always look at yourself first. But it wasn't ever something I thought about. It almost happened sort of overnight, yeah, okay. and I just thought, shit, um, I can go one or two ways here. I've either got to, you know, dip the toe in and just, you know, sort yeah, of, yeah. Um, you know, like find my way or I'm going to dive straight in. And I just thought, you know what, the players, the club, the other staff need me to dive straight in. So I just thought I've got to take it head on. So, um, you know, rightly or wrongly how it happened, that's not for me to speculate. But, mm. um, you know, I um, I worked as hard as I could for, for Madge that, that 12 months. Um, he was a good coach to work for. Enjoyed my time with him. Um, yep. I felt for him and his family. But as I said, I had to make a decision: um, do I dive in, or do I, you know, just dip the toe in and, and sort of tippy toe around the situation? I just had to dive in and get on with it. And we had to plan the next preseason and, and you know, and, and go from there. Yeah. Now that first year at South's amazing prelim, but you came from a, a season before where you guys didn't do that well. Yeah. The player I want to talk to you about is is Damian Cook. Because Damien Cook went from a journeyman to the best player in the hooker yeah. in one year. What can you tell us a little bit of insights on what you guys helped Damien with and kind of how he evolved in such to, into such an elite player? Well, there's a couple of things. I saw some things in Cookie that in 2007 that I just thought, you know what, the game might open up for him here a bit because I just mm. saw how quick he was. And yeah. he, was a really, he was a really diligent trainer. You know, he was a good pro. You know what I mean? He bounced around a few different clubs, but he was a good pro. So as far as all the preparation and being thorough, yeah. I just felt as though um, the biggest thing I gave him, I feel, wasn't about the X's and the O's or anything like that, but it was yeah. just confidence. And I just tried to really simplify his game and, and you know, be decisive, run or pass. Not, you know, because I felt he, though the year before or previously coaching against him or, or mm. coaching him, you know, being decisive, he'd jump out and he sort of like, has a, should I pass, should yeah, I yeah. run or whatever. Yep. So, mate, just, just be decisive. Just, if you're going to run, run. You, and, and if you're running to that end, but, you know, who cares? We'll get on with it. But we had the team that enabled him to do his thing, you know, like Sam, George, Tom, they had fantastic years in, yep. in 18. Cameron Murray, um, so they created a lot of momentum for Cookie to jump off the back of, and he was electric that year. He was a he's a fantastic person, um, fantastic footy player, and um, I got a lot of joy seeing him go from you know at times not making the seventeen the year before mm. to to playing for Australia at the yeah. end of the year and playing Origin, and, and it was a big call too because Robbie Farrow had a really good preseason that year, and yeah. um, you know I, I really enjoyed coaching Faz, you know, and he was he's a man's man, you know, like um, if you're straight up with Faz, and I just said, look, mate, I'm, Cookie's going to get an opportunity in, in in front of you, and yep. you're going to have to work hard, you know, to try and um, get the nine jersey back, and he just said, no, I'll show you, you know, and he, he worked really hard. In the end, the best thing for him halfway through the year was go to the Tigers, yeah. but geez, I respected Robbie for how he carried himself that year, and it would have been really hard because he'd done a lot in the game as well. But he was very supportive of. Cookie yep. and really worked hard with Cookie, trying to educate him on some of the things. That's the biggest that's thing, right? And same thing, that's passing the, down. Well, that's the, putting the team yeah. first, right? That's putting that's the team first. And, and Faz showed um, a lot of character by putting the team first because he would have been, you know, wanting to play in the nine jersey. And ultimately, he was. He showed the, the last couple of years that yeah. he hadn't lost it. You know, he was. Oh, but, he still but, had but, it. But Cookie yeah. just, yeah, I think just giving Cookie a bit of confidence and. Yeah. Um, was a good thing for him. Yeah. Given, like, some of these names that you mentioned, you know, Cookie, you had Adam Reynolds and Cody Walker still firing. You mentioned all the Burgess brothers who were yeah. still pretty much at the top of their game. Given what you had achieved in that first year, how <laughs> difficult was it to walk away from them? And at the time, what was it that attracted you to the Broncos? It's a really difficult... Uh, it, was a, it was an enormously difficult decision, right? And in a lot of ways, I, I've, I've thought a lot about it. 
it's probably like, you know, when some of the guys, you talked about Super League before, it's probably mm. when some of the guys defected the Super League, right? Yeah. It wasn't popular. Why'd they make the decision? Probably because it's going to be best for them and their family. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Right? And I didn't want to go, right? I love, I still love South Sydney. I, I, I hope, you know, I hope they have a good season. I love, you know, the, the boys that I coached who are still there. They were, they were fantastic to coach. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to leave them. But what happened was, um, you know, obviously the Broncos showed a lot of interest in me at the end of the year. And regardless of what was said, um, I hadn't signed anything. I hadn't spoken to them at all. I knew they were interested, but I, I had no, yeah. you know, no um, contract off and nothing, right? And um, I started to get interested when they started talking the length of the contract because okay. I thought, you know what, this isn't just about me now. This is about the kids, mm. this is about, you know, pe- looking after the parents. Yep. It, it, was a, it was a bigger thing, right? Yeah. Um, they offered me a six-year deal. The six-year was in my favour. Um, South had offered me a three-year deal. Now, I didn't want to go, man. The hardest conversation I've ever had in my life was ringing Russell when he was in New York and saying, look, mate, I need to go. But I just thought, I've, th- this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity yeah. to set up my family. Um, it wasn't because I didn't love the club. It wasn't because I didn't love the players. And as I said before, the, the analogy I'll use is when the Super League guys... Mm. Um, I can only imagine what that you know, went like from that, yeah. the ARL and, and def, you know, um, defected to the Super League. Super League, yeah. Right? They did that decision. They knew it would be unpopular, but they did it to look after, well, their futures, their families, you know, and because it become bigger than footy. If it was just footy, mate, there's no way in the world I would have left. Because yeah. look at the roster I had there versus... I, I knew they were going young, right? Yeah. Um... I didn't know it would become so volatile up there. I didn't know um, that there'd be so many agendas. I didn't know that That's you know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't sort of be welcomed by you know, some um, up there. But, mate, it's life. You move on. I've Definitely. moved on, mate. And, you know, but you learn a lot. But, yeah, it wasn't yeah. because I didn't love the players or the club. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate that yeah. share, mate. Just in terms of you as a coach, and we'll nearly wrap things up, and then you've got to go up one. In terms of like, I love watching kind of, I know it's sometimes in, you know, with the cameras in the locker room and all that sort of rubbish, and you see the coaches talking from time to time. In terms of you before a game and at half time, are you saying much at all? Not really. I mean, I, real narrow focus, you know. So, as regardless of what's been said about my coaching style or whatever else, I, I think um, I'm an easy one to have a go at because I, I am educated and, yeah, yeah. you know, I've been an academic as far as being a lecturer at university and so on. Yep. Um, but this is what I do know. Narrow focus is key. So it's the critical few things that you talk yeah. about. It's two or three things. So yeah. our last meeting at Captain John is about reinforcing the two or three things that, that you are really important to us yeah, yeah. that we want to see the next day. So there's no point in me talking about two or three things different at, in the team talk before the game. Imagine yeah. I talked about two or three things on the and then on the totally change entirely it. different the next yeah, day. Yeah, right? yeah. So you try and have a flow of the week. You punch a little bit more information into the, into the group earlier in the week, and as it gets closer to the game, you actually it's like that funnel approach. Actually, your message becomes shorter and more concise. So it's two or three things. Yeah, yeah. Literally throw two or three things up on the on the on the, on the PowerPoint or on the whiteboard on captain's run day, yeah. and they're the same things I talk about. Um, before a game, two or three things. Um, at halftime, it's it's something similar, you know. Um, I'll we'll talk about those. We call them trademarks. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll talk about those two or three. Tra- you know, how we're going with them. What do we need to be better with there? Um, but it's essentially, you're not trying to create. Mm. Um, so the work's already done. The work's just, already done. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? The way I think of us as coaches, we at training during the week, and it hasn't always worked. Because you know, you could argue the Broncos last year, but yeah. try and give them problems to solve. Right, gotcha. you know, so yeah. I'll put context around situations of training and so on. But you know, essentially, we're not out there on game day. You know, they've got to try and come up with the, with with the corrections on the run, and they've yeah. got to solve problems and make decisions on the run out there. I mean, we're two hundred meters away in the coach's box, and you might think, you know, sending a message down to the person in the blue shirt is going to, you know, get to Tristan, and, and Tristan's <laughs> yeah, yeah. going to change his behaviours during the game. It doesn't work <laughs> like that, mate. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's pretty much, you know, what you've done during the week. You know, narrowing your focus. If you think you're going to have an impact on game day, yeah, well, you might. You might. But, look, you don't even know what the blue shirt's saying to the person. Exactly the, different you know issues, I mean? right? Yeah, yeah. So it's about providing a environment where players can make decisions for themselves. You know, players, um, I suppose, execute those decisions under pressure, under fatigue, um, you know, out there during the game. So. Yeah. 
Back end of last year, I did a podcast with Steve McNamara from yeah. over in England. Really, really intelligent guy. But he was telling me he might be interested in coaching another sport. If an yeah. opportunity, cause especially with yourself, you you work with Eddie Jones. I know you've done some yeah. stuff with Justin Lang. You had that Zoom yeah. thing as well. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Would you would you challenge yourself in a different sport? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I'm I'm doing a little bit with rugby at the moment. I'm a, mm. look, Eddie just gets me to look at the opposition for for him, and I literally put some cuts together, make some notes, send it across. Yeah. And I'm not biased insofar as I don't sit in, you know, I don't zoom into their coaches' meetings, I don't zoom into their training sessions. I'm literally an unbiased eye, so. Eddie yeah. likes that. So it's a fresh sort of... Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, and, and I'm no expert in rugby union, you know, with regards to the X's and the O's. And all I'm looking at is some trends, you know, what, what defensively, mm. what are the trends I'm seeing in the opposition? So they play Italy this week. I looked at some vision for Eddie over the weekend. They obviously got beaten by Scotland, but I looked at some vision of Italy because that's who their next opponent is. I send it through to him um, on Sunday evening, and then, you know, he gets back, gets back to me with a couple of questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what I'm seeing now. I could be totally... Off, off the 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 charts, you know, with regards to what I'm seeing. But I'm looking at it from a rugby league lens. Yeah, yeah. I do think the processes coaching one sport to another, you could transfer. It's yeah. interesting. There's um, a lot of man management, right? Yeah, at well, it's at least Alexander, the netball coach, yeah, Australian netball coach, um, who applied for the North Melbourne AFL coaching uh, position yeah. um, over the summer, you know, over yeah the back end of last year, uh-huh. um, because he thought that she could take the coaching processes yeah. from netball and switch uh, it and switch over. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because as I said, remember I said before about a lot of the times it's the assistant coaches who look Could after the yeah, 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 yeah. You know? So she would just surround herself by some of the content expert, but I heard her talk about it and I found it really interesting. Yeah, um, yeah you'd be challenged by going to a different sport because you wouldn't have the content knowledge, but you'd need the mm. good people around you. But yeah, I've got an interest, in, you know, as I said, in rugby um, and cricket. They're the two sports that yeah. I watch, um, you know, in my spare time. So I'm actually enjoying, you know, doing, um, you know, looking at, at some rugby union. But, um, yeah, it'd be a good challenge to, to have to, you know, um, coach uh, whether it's assistant coach or be a head coach, but yeah, whether it's for me or not, I'm not sure. But I'm enjoying doing some diverse things at the minute. Good stuff. All right, final question, just my dinner party question. So it's a little bit off topic. Yeah. Five dinner guests to a dinner party. Only rules, Bart Seeps. No family or friends, but you can yeah. invite anyone, dead or alive. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, this is really, um, this is a really interesting one. There's probably a couple. Um, I think um, Robbie Williams is someone that I'd, I'd love to, um, yeah. you know, have as a dinner guest. Um, been through a few concerts, mate. Yeah, I've been to a few of his concerts, but um, Sean Edwards, who was a player that oh, the halfback, the Broncos, yeah, yeah. yeah, he knew Robbie Williams. So we were backstage at um, the Brit Awards in two thousand. <laughs> he had a good time and, over there, um, Richard Branson. Yeah, yeah, Robbie Williams. And, um, and Robbie came up to Sean, and Matt, I was, I just thought it was the best thing in the world. <laughs> um, Did you get his autograph? No, I didn't. No, I was too embarrassed. Um, but, you know, he, he seemed like a real entertainer, you know, yeah, so nice. I reckon he'd be really good. Um, I'm, I'm a real sort of rugby league to tragic in a yeah, lot of yeah. ways. So I used to love Parramatta as a kid. Did you? My dad did. Okay. Um, and that was before the Bronx come in. Yeah. And so I, I loved, right, I loved Brett Kenny. Um, I loved Brett Kenny. Nice and and, I, and I, I used to love um, Ray Price as well. So I'd love those two guys just to talk about um, – because I look back, you know, because when you're a kid, everything seems so much – Better, you know what I mean? I well, looked up to those guys like they were heroes. Especially with Brett. So one of my best friends is the referee, Grant Atkins. Yeah, right. So Grant's dad played in the team. Yeah, of course, yeah. Graham, so, man. yeah, Grant played in the team. So back when we were growing up, he would invite me and Grant to the pub to have a few beers with the boys. Yeah, so right. I get to meet them yeah. through there. But that was the – Brett, even now, I did a podcast. Just come up to my house. Just come up, whatever. Such a nice guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, um, so I just love those two guys there because I just quiz them about, you know, because I just remember watching them on TV and they were like, that's it, heroes to me. Yeah. They were, you know, so. That's the beauty of the 80s, man. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So Rob- Robbie to um, to entertain, you know, those two guys, I could quiz them about footy, you know, being back to, to, yeah. to being a kid. And then I suppose the other two, um, you know, a, a little bit sort of, um, you know, left the field. I, I, I really love, um, I love cricket as well. Okay. Um, so Alan Boredom was, was um, you know, someone that I really admired from a distance. Um, yeah. And, you know, what he did with the Australian cricket side, I suppose in a lot of ways, you know, the back end of the 80s, you know, really um, cemented that um, hard edge you know, philosophy in and around, um, you know, they called him Captain Grumpy, I think, but yeah. Yeah, but there was a real hard edge to him and, and I reckon he sort of transformed the Australian cricket side yep. in those days and you hear a lot of people talk about, yep. um, you know, Alan Border. 
um, you know, so from the mid eighties to the late eighties, I just thought, you know, it'd be really interesting to talk about what the he cultural did. Change, yeah, what yeah, he did yeah. there because they had all the superstars retire all at once, and then they went through that period where they were, they were getting beaten. Yeah, and I think a lot about they had a lot of young kids there that were super talented, and in the end, they were great. I see that a lot in the Broncos kids. Yeah, are super talented. Yeah, um, and I still believe that those guys were going to have great careers, and and the club will mm. have success if they stand by those young kids. But they they're going through that. That transition, like, that need, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the Aussie cricket side did yep. in the eighties. So, I'd be really intrigued by sort of what Alan Border did there as a leader. You know, uh, it would have been fantastic to have an Alan Border up in our group. You know, last yeah. year. You know, um, so I, yeah, I'd love to talk talk to him. I reckon he'd be a pretty good guess. And then I, I reckon I would have to get someone from Hollywood, mate. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just add a bit, a bit more star factor there, and, and just talk about some of their times over there. And I really enjoyed. Um, um, Spent a little bit of time with Russell Crowe. Yeah. Um, you know, so I reckon Russell would be pretty good to... Did you get a Marnie jacket there, Steve? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I got a couple of jackets, though. Yeah. Um, but, but they weren't the Armani ones. But um, I had a fantastic night with Russell out at his farm in okay. the end of 2017. Is that Coffs Harbour, is it? Coffs Harbour, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he was just... Yeah, he was just really engaged and just... Um, he just seemed like a good bloke, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I reckon he'd be pretty good. Is he pretty relaxed sort of He fella? was great to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great to me. Um, fantastic to me. So I reckon he'd be good, you know. So you've got Robbie and Russell as a bit of star Perfect. factor and then a couple of sporting <laughs> heroes, you know. So you know, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty easily pleased with regards to, um, um, you know, the sporting guys. I, I, those three guys would be tremendous to talk to. And then, as I said, I could talk to the other guys about, um, you know, some, some other stuff in the yeah. entertainment industry. Definitely. Well, Anthony Seabold, really appreciate your time today, mate. I know some of the questions were pretty tough. You're always open and honest, mate. And I really appreciate it, bud. Yeah, good on you, Tristan. Good to chat, mate. Thank you. And that, guys, was Anthony Seabold. If you enjoyed that, please share that with your family and friends. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Talking With TK, Instagram, Tristan Nell, Twitter, Tristan underscore Nell. Email is Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or all the episodes you can find at www.TalkingWithTK.com. As I did mention at the top of the show, quick break, just so I can... I really want to do a lot more in person this year as well. Just the quality just goes through the roof. So just bear with me, just especially during this time where I'm just launching Talking League, but plenty of player and, you know, general just information week to week. It's one of the... I'm really excited about Talking League. So head over to Talking League if you want to subscribe to that for free or it's going to be on this channel for a little while as well. So plenty of weekly news and, you know, some interesting segments as well. There's a tipping comp and fantasy league comp. $500 winner takes all, so it's free to enter. So jump in there with all your family and friends. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that episode. Stay safe out there. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.